So today I'm talking about worship, specifically the type of worship that we just engaged in. So sung worship, worship that is musical, worship that means we are pouring out our love and affection to God through beautiful melodies and poetic words. I just love worshiping Jesus this way, primarily because it's when I feel closest to him. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, says, uh, Becoming true worshippers is the chief assignment God has given us in this lifetime. God is bringing the church to her knees to teach her how to express an intimate, loving, adoring language, her love for him and her appreciation of his blessing and loving care. And then he goes on to say, In addition to what we traditionally define as worship, the Lord calls us to live a life of worship. The word, our walk with Jesus, and the work of the church as a whole are all expressions of worship. These things flow out of a heart that is devoted to worshiping the Lord. So everything about the Christian life and the way that we're called to live flows out of this place of worship. It all starts with worship. For some of us, engaging with God through sung worship is simple. It feels intimate, it feels easy, it feels deeply satisfying. But for others of us, that may not be our experience. Engaging with God through sung worship may feel a little awkward. It may feel like it's not a good fit. It might just not be a space that you feel comfortable in. So if you feel like that this morning, then please don't be discouraged. I really believe that God has new treasure ahead for you if you continue to seek him in this space. My dream is that for us as a community, we would discover or rediscover or continue to discover the wonder of worship, that that would be the legacy that we pass on to the next generation. That's what I want to pass on to my kids and to all the kids here at Bay Vineyard. There is just so much to discover about worship. So today we're going to explore some of the reasons why it's important. Worship draws us into intimacy with God where he can transform us. John Wimber says this, the one goal of worship is intimacy with God. Experiencing intimacy with him is our highest and most fulfilling calling. So John then goes on to define intimacy as revealing one's deepest nature to another. So it's when we get to know God's heart heart more closely and he gets to know us. This type of worship is one of the ways that we get into his presence. It says in Psalm 22, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. So that's truth. When we worship him, he is there. Worship is about freely giving love to God. It's about blessing him without expecting anything in return. It's not about us. Worship is always about him. But the beautiful, mysterious byproduct of worship is that when we worship him and bless his heart, we get blessed. As we worship, the Holy Spirit starts working in our heart. He brings things to mind. We might hear his gentle whisper. We might hear the still, small voice. We might be reminded of his promises. We might experience a new revelation of his mercy. We might be convicted and encouraged to lay down things at his feet so we can walk into more freedom. We might feel like, 
happy tears welling up in our eyes because we're just overwhelmed with his goodness. Or we may feel like we're crying tears of grief because in that space of worship, God comes and he brings comfort. Worship is just an incredibly beautiful cycle of love. So as we worship him, we're drawn into his presence. And then when we're in his presence, he's stirring our heart, he's stirring our mind, which leads to an overflow of more worship. We adore him, we lift his name high, we we shout his name, we sing praises, and then of course we're drawn into his presence more deeply and so on and so on and so on. When I first decided to go all in with Jesus, I went to Bible college and it meant I needed to drive from Wellington where I was living to Palmerston North for classes once a week. I was just discovering the depths of God's love and grace and forgiveness and he was bringing healing to my heart in so many ways over that time. So I would listen to worship music all the way there and all the way back every week and I would cry big, ugly, messy tears and sing at the top of my lungs and it was like a euphoric experience in the car. Sometimes the presence of God felt so thick in the car, I was so overwhelmed, I felt like I could barely see, let alone drive. It was such a beautiful time. God was teaching me how to worship Him, drawing me into His presence and and reminding me that He is God. Because as I learned to worship Him, He humbled me. I was acknowledging He's God, I wasn't. That His Uh, way of life is the way to fullness of life, not the way I was making decisions. That he was the one who deserved all the glory, not me. That he was the one whose name should be lifted high, not mine. In the place of worship, God teaches us how to offer a fully surrendered, fully yielded heart. He teaches us to offer ourselves, like it says in Romans 12, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. It's in this place of worship that our hearts are soft, like clay in His hands, and He can shape and mould us if we let Him. But we cannot worship Him if we're focused on ourselves and just stubbornly doing things our own way, which I had been up to that point. Worship is so much more than singing songs. It is our communication to Him and then His holy communication to us. As we open our hearts, we're drawn into His presence, He speaks to us. We were created to worship. Worship is not some new idea that a touchy-feely musical pastor came up with. It is non-negotiable for our faith. We have been designed by God since the beginning of time to worship Him. So it's our deepest heart's desire, whether we know it or not. And if we're not worshiping Jesus, we will inevitably worship someone or something else. And I would contest that if all our time and money and energy are spent on things that aren't inspired by Jesus, then we are indeed worshiping someone or something else. So let's ask ourselves: this is a dangerous question. What has our mind's attention and our heart's affection? That's what we're worshipping. In the Old Testament, God talks to Moses from a burning bush. Exodus 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. He's saying, Set my people free for a purpose, and the purpose is to worship me. 
If you look at the Old Testament, God takes a huge amount of interest in his house, which is the house of worship. First the tabernacle and then the temple. He's very particular about how we should be worshipped. He says, wear this, do it in this order and build it to look like this. God is a holy God and he knows what he wants. But then thankfully for us, Jesus comes along and he says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul and your mind and to love your neighbour as yourself. So when we worship, we are loving God with our heart, our soul, our mind. Love is this beautiful, our worship is this beautiful act of love and devotion. And then if we truly want to love our neighbour, because we know that's deeply challenging, we have to have this deep love for God first. Loving others comes from the overflow of a heart worshipping God. It's got to start with worship. Worship is one of the main themes in the Bible, the Bible is literally dripping with words and poems and songs of worship. The Psalms are all songs. There's 150 of them. And there's too many things to mention here, too many beautiful words of worship. But here are just a few. It says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvellous deeds among all peoples. In John 4, 23, Jesus meets a woman at a well. And he says to her, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. So where once God was prescriptive about where we should worship him, he's now saying we worship him in spirit. Our physical location isn't the important thing. It's the state of our innermost being. And the more we learn to worship him in spirit, then worship becomes the everyday posture of our heart. And then it's much easier, it's more natural to thank God for the big and little blessings that come along every day. When worship is the posture of the heart, we can worship him anywhere and everywhere. Our worship must be rooted in truth, which is found in Jesus. So our worship is Christ-centered. God is and has been seeking worshippers since creation. He isn't seeking worshippers because he's insecure and he needs us to tell him how amazing he is in order to build his self-esteem. He's seeking worshippers because he knows our hearts are deeply satisfied in him when we worship him. He knows that's when we're transformed. He knows if we let him in, that's when we're blessed. There is power in worship. Worship has the power to change the atmosphere. One of our friends who is a worship leader recently went to support a lady who was opening a new age shop in town. And there was a musician in the corner and lots of cool stuff going on. And then the musician went to take a break. And so they handed the guitar to our friend. And our friend got up and just started gently playing worship to Jesus. So in a place that was primarily full of people who were worshiping other gods and worshiping idols, she just gently invited the presence of Jesus in a really respectful and non-threatening way. And our other friends that were there said that the peace of God just fell on that place and that people quietened down and started listening. God inhabits the praises of his people. And there were conversations about Jesus that night that came out that were birthed out of this beautiful, peaceful place of worship. 
Worship has the power to bring healing, to bring breakthrough, to lift us up out of the depths of despair, to give us new hope. God is always doing something new when we worship. There are so many examples in the Bible of the power of worship and how the ministry of Jesus came out of this place of worship. When the Holy Spirit is given to the early church, the followers of Jesus gather together. They worship, they pray, they eat, and they share. And then evangelism, sharing the good news, comes out of this place of worship, and the church grows exponentially. In Acts 13, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So while they're worshiping the Holy, the Holy Spirit is actually leading and guiding and commissioning new leaders. Then one of my favourite passages in Acts is when Paul and Silas have been thrown in prison, they've been beaten, they've been flogged, but their spirits are not low, their spirits are high because they choose to worship God even in those horrible circumstances. They know that He is their strength and their refuge. They've fixed their eyes on Him. So they're singing praises in prison. And then we see the power of God break in out of this place of worship. God sends an earthquake and the doors open and the prisoners are free. But then the prison guard, seeing that the prisoners are becoming free, says, oh, well, he actually, he goes to kill himself. But Paul sees him and says, no, hang on, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. And so then he is so moved by the grace that Paul's shown him and the power of God that he's just witnessed. He falls to his knees and cries out and says, what must I do to be saved? And then he and his whole family become followers of Jesus that night. Miracles are birthed out of the power of worship. Worship is eternal. One of the revelations about worship that gets me very excited is that worship is going on all the time in the heavenly realms. And when we worship, just like we're doing this morning, we are joining in. It's an incredible thought. And I have such a lovely sense of this when I'm worshiping at home, on my own, at the piano. I often think and pray and hope that the angels are accompanying me. When we worship, we pull back the veil between heaven and earth and his kingdom breaks in. I drive my kids totally potty by playing the same thing on the piano over and over again, especially poor Eli, he's our eldest, because his bedroom is right near the piano. So I put the kids to bed and then I just start plonking away, going over the same bit hundreds of times. And Eli says to me that he really loves my worship for the first 10 minutes. He's a very encouraging child. But he says after that, it just starts to drill a hole in his brain. But I tell my kids, I have to get my practice hours in because I wanna be in the worship team in the new heavens and the new earth. And I don't know with my kids what goes in and what, you know, what goes in one ear and comes out the other. And I wasn't sure that they'd really taken that on board, but I sat down to have my quiet time a while back and I opened my Bible and someone had stuck a sneaky note in there with a wee picture. And it's a picture of me at the piano with the angels around, and it says underneath, it's very, it's very moving, it says underneath, Mum, you will so, with lots of O's, so be in the worship band in heaven. And it's so precious. And what an incredible thing to practice for. 
John Wimber says, this life is not our final destination. We live in the cocoon. We have not yet emerged as butterflies. The real thing is going on up there. However, God wants us to begin our eternal relationship with him here on this earth. When we do, we bring others into relationship with him as well. That's what this life is all about. God is calling, wooing, and instructing his people to worship Worship, worship. He expects us to worship at the drop of a hat. Worship with a flat tire. Worship when you get bad news. Worship all the time because that's what we're made for and that's what we'll be doing from now on. This is just the rehearsal, not the play. John then goes on to say, we can either learn to worship him here or we can learn to worship him there, but that's what we're gonna be doing. This picture of worship going on in heaven isn't just a nice thought to give us the warm fuzzies. It's actually found in scripture. There are passages that give us insight into what's going on. Isaiah 6 says, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. What a stunning display of worship. And then in the book of Revelation, Revelation 4, there are all these living creatures gathered around the throne, and they've got lots of eyes and lots of wings. And verse 8 says, day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne, so they're humbling themselves. And they say, you are worthy, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Worship is central, not peripheral. Worship is eternal, it's not temporal. This is a mind-blowing thought. And if we let it fall from our head to our heart, this will change the way that we worship. Last week, we had a brilliant guest speaker, Mark, and he and his wife, Kirsty, and their friends came over to our house for dinner, and they just love Jesus. They're just people that are fun to spend time with because the stories and the songs, and it all points back to God. And so they were really excited to hear that our kids play in the kids' church band, and they said, oh, can you please play a worship song for us before bed? And so the boys played a worship song, and we all gathered around and sang, and it was such a holy moment. And then I woke up the next day, and I had a message on my phone from Esther, one of the girls that had come, and she said this, such a blessing to experience heaven on earth with your family band. Esther is a new Christian. She's experiencing and learning new things about God all the time, but she has already worked out what many of us are just discovering now, that when we worship, we bring heaven to earth. Worship is a battle. The enemy would love nothing better than keeping us away from this place of worship because it's here that we are closest to God's heart. And it's here that we are empowered to build for his kingdom and see his kingdom break in from heaven to earth. 
Worship is a battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we shouldn't expect it to be easy. There are barriers that we need to identify, pray into, and push against. So this is not an exhaustive list. I'm sure there are other barriers, but these are just things I've experienced. So barrier one, distractions. When Sam and I started dating, I discovered that he was the most amazing man inside and out that I had ever met. But he would lead worship sometimes in our church. And it was awful for me because I would have to close my eyes so tightly and try and focus on Jesus, which was almost impossible. I'd just be praying, Lord, help my heart just be soft before you. Everything is vying for our attention out there. Everything is vying for our attention. The world wants us to look every which way but at Jesus. We can constantly be distracted by so many things, by our obsessive interest in ourselves, by the sound of our own voice, by comparisons, insecurities, maybe the sound of our neighbour's voice, maybe they're better than us or maybe they're out of tune. That can be a little off-putting. Maybe worries, anxieties. Maybe we're distracted by relationships, by jobs, by tasks. Everything is fighting to distract us from that place of worship. Barrier two, we may have no sense of God. Sometimes during the worship, we have a lovely sense of what God's doing in our heart and in the congregation's heart. And sometimes we don't feel anything And we don't hear anything, but that doesn't mean that we're doing it wrong. Barrier three, we may be bored in worship. Maybe we've sung the same songs over and over again too many times. Maybe we don't like the songs. Or maybe it's not our favourite worship leader that's on that week. Barrier four, it just feels weird. Singing love songs to Jesus feels weird. So if any of these barriers resonate with you, I want to encourage you to come back to the empowering truth that it's not about us, it is all about Him. If we are bored in worship, we're making it about us because there is nothing boring about the God of the universe who created everything and knit us together in our mother's womb. When we feel bored, let's just be honest. Let's humble ourselves, let's repent, and let's cry out for a fresh revelation of Jesus because He is the wonder. Matt Redmond says, we can't worship without wonder. For worship to be worship, it must contain something of the otherness of God. And by this, he means a sense that God is so pure, matchless and unique that no one and nothing else even comes close. He's altogether glorious, unequaled in splendour and unrivaled in power. He's beyond the grasp of human reason, far above the reach of even the loftiest scientific mind, inexhaustible, immeasurable and unfathomable, eternal, immortal, and invisible. The highest mountain peaks and the deepest canyon depths are just tiny echoes of His proclaimed greatness. And the blazing stars above, the faintest embers of the full measure of His glory. He is the wonder. As we allow Him to soften our hearts, singing words of love and affection just becomes more and more natural. 
The reality is though, certain songs will just not resonate with us at a heart level. We might look across and see someone crying and arms in the air and having some beautiful experience of God, normally Blair, that's normally what he's doing, and we might be feeling like, oh, like, am I missing something? Like, I would like what he's got, but I'm not feeling that. It's like the arrows that are piercing his heart are just bouncing off your heart. And in those moments, it can help to remember that this is someone's testimony. This is the songwriter's testimony. The Bible says to us that we will overcome by the blood of the lamb, that's Jesus, and the power of our testimony. So let's let their testimony move us. Let's let their testimony inspire us and challenge us and remind us of the goodness of God. Ultimately, if we're worshiping and we're just not feeling it, Let's just come back to simply blessing God's heart without an agenda. Our worship is always a beautiful gift for Him. It is a fragrance that is pleasing. No one else can worship Him for you. Only you can worship Him for you. It doesn't matter how hard Matt is worshiping as he leads the worship team. We have to each worship Him ourselves. There's a very precious old worship song that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his glorious face. For the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's make that our prayer today. That as we turn our eyes on Jesus, that we give him our full attempt attention and we open our hearts, that we invite him to come in and transform us, that we invite him to change us, to realign our thinking. We invite him to wash us clean in the light of, our glory, of his glory. And we invite him to form us into people who in his presence respond with gratitude. There have been so many people over the years that have inspired me to go deeper into worship. Their passion, their energy, their freedom, and their ability to just worship God through all the storms of life, all the highs and lows. If you are feeling dry this morning, I wanna encourage you, seek out one of those people and stand next to them because they give off something. They are firing with the Holy Spirit and it is contagious when we get close to them. Our dear friend, Kathleen Meyer, who many of you know because she's come and preached here at Bay Vineyard before, she loved worshiping to the song, 10,000 Reasons. Uh, most of you probably know, it says the bless the Lord, oh my soul. It's a, you've got 10,000 reasons and more and more to worship God. When she found out that her son, Judah, had been tragically killed in a motorcycle accident, she felt like God said to her, do you still have 10,000 reasons to worship me? And the amazing thing was, she did. And she responded with worship, which is extraordinary. But that is the heart of the true worshiper. So we are gonna move now into a time of communion and then back into a time of worship. So let's be reminded that we are joining with heaven.
We are joining with the saints. We are joining with the heavenly choir. We are worshiping the God who is above and beyond and within all things. We're worshiping the God who is the beginning and the end. We're worshiping the God who is infinitely tender and infinitely powerful. And at his very core, he is love. Yet he loves us individually and he knows us. We are fully known and fully loved and he longs to draw us into his presence.